BBCC episode 31, my realization of the day. Whether it be through the Twitter sphere or in real life, if you know me, you know that I'm a bit of a Scrooge. I'm not a fan of the holidays, however, I am a fan of holiday horror. Is it the cold aesthetic? Or is it the holiday horror that comes out when you see the true dark nature of humans around this time of year that people tend to cover up with Christmas lights and fabricated sentimentality weaved by modern capitalism? That's what we're here to find out in December here on the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. Merry Krampus, you sons of bitches. Hello, hello. It is your boy, Devon Taylor, a.k.a. underscore Daddy Disco on Twitter and Instagram, and I am your host. This is the Blade Blunt Cinema Club, a podcast where we explore the subgenres of horror and get into the nitty gritty and see what's up and obviously get real high while I'm doing it. This is the start of a new month. It is December. We are talking cold hearted horror this month. Because it is going to be a mixture of holiday horror films, but then also just films that are just downright cold to the aesthetic or maybe even the subject matter. We have a wide range of movies to talk about, and today we will be starting with our monster segment of Blade Blunt Cinema Club. We're going to talk about one holiday horror film in Krampus, and then we're also going to talk about The Thing, the John Carpenter classic that is just, um, I mean, if you want to talk about cold movies, this is the one. So we are going to be talking about, you know, the literal monsters that are happening within those films, but then, of course, the monsters that lurk within. Ooh, Gotta love some good old monster tropes. So we're going to get into it. I got two guests joining me from the Something Ghoulish gang, and I cannot wait to get into it. So without further ado, let's get into the show. All right, and we are back from our little brief intro. I have my guests waiting. Um, I have two guests uh, coming at you guys for this episode. Both of them have backgrounds with the Something Ghoulish gang, so, you know, we're wrapping them back in after we had uh, Anthony and Danielle on a few weeks ago. So I have two members on. One of them is a writer and podcaster who is one of the co-hosts of Gargantuan Cast, and the other is a writer and editor for Something Ghoulish and has their own YouTube channel and is the second PhD student I've had on the show in the past couple of weeks. So, like, we're bringing some legitimacy to the podcast. I'm very excited <laughs> for that. So, please, welcome to the Blade Blunt Cinema Club, Chris McDonald and Victoria Tipper. Oh, I almost, I had it in my head. Oh, you're I, close, man. You're I close. had it in my brain. Victoria <laughs> Timpanaro. Timpanaro. I was, like, practicing it before before recording, and then I was like, you know what? I'm yeah. not even going to ask her the proper pronunciation. I'm going to wing it. <laughs> Yeah, and not, I think and, of like timpani. It's it's yeah. a music thing. You, you know. I just think of Italian food. No offense. No, no, it all works. That, that's why. <laughs> and I do. also, not to be that jerk, but it's a gargantu cast. Oh, it is gar gargantu cast because we yeah. got to have the specifics down. The specifics are very important. <laughs> so I'm there with yeah. you. 
But uh, thank you for both of you guys for joining me. Very excited to have you guys on Ooh, to kick yes. off. Yes, um, very excited. We are kicking off the like holiday. I call it holiday horror slash uh, cold because I'm not even the most festive horror, like festive holiday person myself. So I was like, I don't want to just limit it to like Christmas or just like you know to limit any holiday. So we're also just like kind of talking like cold movies in general. So we have two movies, one classic and one more modern classic to talk about um, in Krampus released in 2015 and The Thing released in 1982. So very excited to talk a couple monster movies with a uh, couple experts here. We have, you know, we have the scholar and then we have the kaiju uh, enthusiast himself. So very excited to get into that. Before we get to the movies for the podcast, we want to get to know the guests just a little bit. So uh, give me your guys' uh, background on uh, when you guys kind of got going with something ghoulish and um, and just kind of, you know, your your brief little horror history in general. So when it comes to something ghoulish, Anthony has been one of my best friends since for five or six years. The guy has been a very close friend of mine, and I started Gargantic College. Garganja cast as a solo affair before he came in because I had a really bad funk in the middle of production of the podcast. And he said, like, hey, if you I'm I'm starting um, doing uh, something ghoulish, if he if you want me to help you out and we can join forces. And I said, you know, I really appreciate it. So ever since then, Garganja cast has been a something ghoulish podcast. And when he started, he needed writers for the website. He knew I was, you know, I dabbled in writing specifically with Kaiju and Monster Cinema and it's been my forte since I was a kid. I grew up on, like, Godzilla, Ray Harryhausen films, some of the 80s stuff, like Aliens and Predator and some 90s, Roger Corman, you know, stuff, as well as, like, Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. So that's when I decided to use my passions as an editor, editor writer and one of the early editor writers of the website. Nice. Yeah, so the, the, the monsters have been just ingrained in your blood since, since day yeah. one, basically. I can see uh, I can see your uh, little collection of figurines in the background, so I know oh, you're yeah. absolutely serious about this shit. Very serious. And what about you, Victoria? Uh, well, I started up my YouTube channel, I think, around the same time that um, they started up the Something Ghoulish YouTube channel, and we were kind of commenting on each other's stuff, I think. I, I think I had reached out uh, for one of Anthony's videos, and was like, wow, this is really awesome. And we started talking, and um, when he, I guess almost a year later, when he started up the website, uh, like a little beforehand, he, he asked if I was interested in writing. So uh, I, I'm always up for writing about horror movies and sci-fi movies and cool stuff like that. So um, I gladly jumped on board. And uh, since I'm also, I've taught in the past too, uh, I teach like some film theory type classes so um when he was looking for some help editing i offered uh, to help out with that too so i help kind of you know i check up on stuff make sure everybody's grammatically correct as it were and uh over on my own channel i do two shows one's called indie cult horror and it's a, a collection of interviews i did uh in the early 2000s when i was working on my master's talking to people who were behind the camera and in front of the camera on some mm-hmm. of the like influential movies like i've interviewed like gunner hansen hp love gun if you love craft holy crap hg <laughs> lewis you, you, i'm, you, I'm you, not you, that you, old 
Chris. You um, you had like a Ouija board and you talked yes. to H.P. Lovecraft. I was like, hey, how racist are you? Yeah, or there's always time let's, travel. Let's clear, let's, let's clear this up for now. You know, like, let's just get to it, man. But uh, no, no. So I, I, uh, I've been putting out interviews I had done when I was working on my master's. And then I started up uh, a second show called The Horror Academic, where I just um, I go through some of my favorite Blu-rays of modern classic horrors and why you should own them and why they're important movies. And, uh, you know, I, I try to take that over into what I write on Ghoulish. I talk about classic car, like, in the modern age. So, uh, yeah, I'm a kind of been just Kind of been just doing a little bit of everything, like, kind of yeah, hitting yeah. the bases. And um, I definitely uh, love that, you know. I'm kind of one of those people that I can't really nail down to, like, one thing either. So I'm always either doing writing or doing podcasts or trying to do YouTube you know, so it's like you just kind of keep rolling with the punches wherever wherever it ends up taking you. But uh, but yeah, something ghoulish is just uh, awesome. I love Anthony and like all the work that he's been doing and like, you know, just like the the positivity that you guys have been pumping into the horror community is much needed, especially in these dark times. So definitely love. Oh, yeah. Have, yeah. So I love having any of you uh, something ghoulish cats on here for sure. And uh, to get to know your guys' movie taste a little bit, I always ask everybody to just bring in a either something they've watched recently that they really enjoyed or some sort of hidden gem that they just want to briefly uh, shout out before we get into the main movies. Um, did either of you guys prepare one of those? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, you, Chris. You go first, Chris. All right. So a few days ago, me and my friends, we usually have movie nights where we just pick a turn of a movie we haven't seen before to showcase. And the movie I chose, which I was like highly recommended by one of my guests on the Gargantia cast. She recommend, uh, her name was Mars girl. She recommended to Kishi Mike's zebra man, which is basically to describe it as Japanese kick-ass. It is Ooh. a parody of Toku heroes, you know, stuff like Kamen Rider, super Sentai. And it's about this guy who, wants to dress up like this old superhero he's seen as a kid. But as the story goes on, he realizes he actually has superpowers and his life is laying up to the original show that he watched. Ooh, I like and that. that for those who strange. don't know, Takeshi Miike is a very prolific Japanese filmmaker. His two most well-known films is Audition and Ichi the Killer. And this film doesn't really, it's not as, it's certainly not as grotesque and violent as those films. But it has that biting sense of humor that he's also known for. And it's a very surprisingly heartfelt film. It starts off as like a spoof, you know, like the satire that we've seen with a lot of superhero films, you know, stuff like Kick-Ass and James Gunn's Super. But as it goes on, it actually has like a really strong heart for the tokusatsu genre. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Like I, one, glad that you brought up Mikkei because we are covering Japanese horror on the podcast next month. January and I have quite a few Mikkei films that I have not seen. I think I've only seen maybe one of his films so I'm actually going to try and do a little deep dive so glad you put that one on my radar and I and like kind of sounds like a you know I, I like those um, you know the super super power but also like kind of you know engrossing it in horror so it's kind of like are they a superhero are they super villain so well it's, it's not really a horror theme it's mostly mm -hmm. uh earnest and you know about heroism it's not really because okay. it's kind of a whiplash because Takeshi Miike doesn't really have a style he was most well known for audition and uh Ichi the killer but that's not what he predominantly does he does whatever he gets his work on mm -hmm. okay for sure yeah I definitely like I said I'd need to 
uh, give him a nice little deep dive because it always just seems like a director that would make my kind of movie. So uh, very excited to check that one out. And uh, what about you, Victoria? Well, I I got two quick ones. I've been kind of shuffling through Shutter a lot lately. Um, so I found Tales of Halloween, which I know is not a new movie, but it's new to me. Uh, 2015 anthology film, 10 different stories by 10 different directors and writers. Really cool. It's all kind of takes place very much kind of like in this vibe of Trick or Treat. But mm-hmm. um, they're drastically different stylistically because of the different writers and directors so it's really cool how it all kind of in the same world but very different stories and i really got into it thought it was really cool um and then another quick one that i i found on shutter i'm really into uh like probably one of my favorite genres is documentaries about movie making so Mm -hmm. it's particularly like good horror movie making so i found uh king cohen which is the story of larry cohen uh which came out in 2018 by uh, Steve Mitchell, uh, it's it is amazing how many movies Larry Cohen made. I mean, you think of him, most people think uh, it's alive, the stuff, stuff like that. But he also he did a lot of stuff in the black exploitation genre, some straight up action films, uh, sci fi horror. He's kind of all over. He's kind of like the East Coast Roger Corman. So it was uh, cool to learn more about him because I only knew kind of the horror stuff. So. Very cool. And he's a really, he's a character. So it's fun to hear him talk. So I totally recommend that. I bet somebody, I would love to talk to somebody that, yeah, who's had kind of, who has been around for like every era, you know, of the past, you know, like, you know, past few decades, you know, so they just kind of have so much insight to all that. And, and yeah, it is always kind of cool whenever you uh, like find a director that you've, you know, admired, but then realize that they have like this other like section of their filmography that like, you know, people don't talk about. That's always mm-hmm. uh, super fun to, you know, dive into and find something new in there. So <laughs> the uh, uh, quick two films I wanted to shout out before we get into it and uh, kind of staying on the not necessarily i mean it's not a horror film and you won't hear me say that on the podcast often like i try to make the case for just about any movie but this is definitely just more of a straight crime noir thriller with uh winter's bone which um it starred jennifer lawrence pretty early in her career it was actually filmed in uh parts of missouri where like i lived and like went to school um or not not where I went to school, but like an hour from like where I went to school. So like, you know, they were, they shot it pretty close to home and kind of got that feel in, but just kind of diving into, I mean, obviously the, the title of it, but it does kind of have just like this very cold bleakness to it. And there is horror in the aspects that you're kind of watching someone in a situation that, you know, you most likely yourself haven't been in and kind of seeing how they go down this dark path of, you know, just trying to survive in essence, but, you know, also trying to move past, like, you know, traumas in their past. So there's, like, a lot of, there is, like, psychologically, like, horrific things to it, but it's not, definitely not a horror film and, like, wouldn't be one I get to talk about on the podcast. So I wanted to shout that out. And I also wanted to shout out, I just revisited um, The Grey a couple weeks ago, and, you know, that is just... I, I like one on, you know, solo survival films and um, Liam Neeson versus uh, the harsh winters is is I mean, it's very good. And I think it's like people haven't went back and revisit it because like when it came out, it was kind of marketed as more of a 
action, you know, movie with like Liam Neeson's gonna be fighting a shit ton of wolves and doing all the things. I mean, and then you know the end of the movie happens and everybody was kind of like, wait, what? And it's like, well, it it wasn't exactly the movie that it was sold as because it was definitely more of that like psychological like survival mode you know, versus him actually, like, going against the external thing. So, if you guys haven't rewatched The Grey in a hot minute, I suggest uh, revisiting it. Mm. Yeah. So, but now we have, uh, I've, you know, talked a couple cold movies. I think that means we are time to get to the main movies of the episode. Krampus, released in 2015, written and directed by Mike Dougherty, uh, with writers Todd Casey and Zach Shields as well. Um, most of the effects were done primarily by the Ueto Workshop, um, you know, and I would say if you watch the film, it's a good, it's about like 70% practical with like 30% CGI, I would say is about the ratio there. Um, but it's absolutely uh, fantastic because even when they do use the CGI, you can't really tell. Um I really love this movie. Uh, Mike Dougherty directed Trick or Treat, so this is his second holiday feature, and we have a Christmas movie from him. Um, and revisiting it, it definitely holds up just as much as it did, because um, I hadn't rewatched it in like a couple years. But I absolutely love this film. So with you guys diving into this film and kind of revisiting it, what are uh, some of the things that kind of stuck out on your rewatch of it? Um, I guess I'll start. So... When I first, uh, I was very excited when they announced Krampus because I was already uh, pretty on board with Michael Doherty's work with Trick or Treat. So it's like, oh, he's doing a, a uh, the most Halloween movie of all time. So he's doing a Christmas horror film. So I want to see how he plays up the elements of Christmas. And at first, like, even though the film sold itself on Krampus himself, once you see the film, it it's more or less talks about the, the film mostly focuses on his minions. And it's uh-huh. kind of creative on the different types of Christmas theme creatures and toys and stuff like that. And the film just is whereas Trick or Treat was a very warm film. If you just look at the way it's colored, this film, like especially watching that opening, the way they did the Frozen Universal logo, this film is very cold. And it's, it goes more towards like the care. Like what's funny is I seen Krampus before I seen National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, but now seeing it, it's just like. This movie is very much a horror uh, horror comedy version of National Lampoon Christmas Vacation, and I don't even see that as a bad thing. I really enjoyed this film overall, and like- you know Adam Scott is hilarious in this film. Tony Collette, this is my first time seeing Tony Collette in films, and man, she's great in whatever movie she's in. And it almost seems like she's somewhat channeling her hereditary energy with that her stress, mm-hmm. and you know the monsters are pretty cool. Krampus himself. Uh, from what little he's seen, he has such a presence, and it is it. This one was honestly became a tradition of every year for Christmas. As one, it's honestly my go-to Christmas movie along with Gremlins and Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah, I like the uh, the uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation comparison because in my notes I wrote that this film is kind of like uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation combined with the thing, the other movie that we're talking about, just mm-hmm. in terms of the coldness and isolation of it. But, uh, but yeah, there's a lot going on with like the characters and the creatures. And, um, there's just like 
they they pack so much into this you know it's 98 minutes or probably 90 95 if you x out the credits so i mean they they definitely pack a lot into this um what were some of the things that uh you picked up on victoria on this latest revisit well i would definitely say like chris this is one of my yearly movies now i mean every I bring out a stack of Christmas movies every year, and this is always one of the first or the or the last. Sometimes I save it for the end now. So it's definitely um, – it gets you into the realism of the season. Uh, you know, I mean, that first half of the film is definitely like a straight-up Christmas movie, Christmas comedy, very much. I, I get the National Lampoon style. Um, and then it switches on you, and all of a sudden you're in a horror film. But uh, I almost kind of was thinking how it, <laughs> to me, was almost like hostile in that way, where it spends the first half of the movie making you hate everybody. And then now you have to, like, decide to cheer them on or who, who's worth, uh, you know, who the ones who you think you could actually get behind surviving. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, now I love the look and feel of this movie. They, they do so many things right. They, they spend so much time, like, making you know these characters that when everything flips and you know they're in the middle of it, you uh, you you're there with them, and I think he just does an amazing job setting up characters, and it's just a fun film, and it's you know got some great, really awesome effects and action sequences. Yeah, like uh, Doherty is able. I mean, he did it in Trick or Treat as well, and able to kind of you know even in the fashion that he was able to flesh out characters in that movie, and that's an anthology. So it's like you know just whenever he actually does have the the single story to focus on. He really builds a very, like, strong, you know, with, you know, the cast from Adam Scott, Tony Collette, uh, Rob Corddry is always great. Mm-hmm. And then um, all the kid actors are also really great. Most of them, mm-hmm. a lot of them were newcomers, which uh, was very interesting for some of the performances that you get from them. Um, the uh, main kid that plays Max, MJ Anthony, mm-hmm. is uh, really, really great in grounding the film here. And so with Krampus, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. So we'll go ahead and hop into the um, opening segment. The subject. Uh, so we'll go ahead and hop into the opening segment, the subgenre grinder, which is where we kind of already take the movie subgenre that we're talking about. And we're gonna go and break it down a little bit further. So we are talking, you know, winter cold movies. This is obviously a Christmas movie as well. But then, yeah, at the heart of it, when you go ahead and break it down, this is a a family movie this is you know a you know as you watch this dysfunctional family that a lot of people can see themselves in you have that angle and then of course you have all the monster movie elements at play here because i mean this just has monsters for days in it um so as far as like um some uh subgenre things what are some things that you might have picked up on um so obviously this is a first and foremost a christmas horror film and that is like there's like holiday horror films, but Christmas is like its own like meat. Like it feels like there is Christmas horror, Halloween horror and everything else. Mm-hmm. And I noticed like, you know, stuff like sign like Deadly Night, Krampus and Gremlins is it focuses on the cynicism of Christmas. Like there's all like this commercialization, like the, the opening film is basically like making fun of like Black Friday kind of like, you know, as someone who works at retail. It's very much like you've I was just like, okay, yeah, this is very much how it feels Mm -hmm. like, especially, you know, playing uh, classical Christmas music over, you know, people beating the shit out of each other for a a teddy bear that, you know, 
probably will be more common after Christmas is over. If it very much feels like uh, Doherty is, you know, taking pot shots at Christmas of a glutton of a holiday. And yeah. another subgenre I noticed, like this film, uh, it sold itself. You thought like, oh, it's going to be like Krampus, like this weird home invasion borderline slasher with this monster. But then it becomes, again, stuff like Gremlins, you know, a little monster movie. And when we see the weird toys, I got like Puppet Master vibes from some mm-hmm. of the uh, the creatures. You know, you got the the robot, the teddy bear, the angel. So yeah. it's like, I guess, like a weird killer doll movie, something like a, a mm. full moon picture. Yeah, I did not. Yeah, that is yeah. one that I didn't think about. But yeah, it definitely has uh, the Puppet Master vibes like in that middle section of the film, like. You the the subgenres are kind of spread out like the the acts you know the first act is all the establishing family stuff going on and then the second act is kind of when you get like yeah that like puppet master vibes and then the third act is where Krampus's presence like really makes itself known. Um, What are uh, some subgenre things that uh, you find really interesting, Victoria? Well, yeah, definitely the Christmas movie vibe and and it's uh, almost like parodying Christmas movies, uh, kind of almost like a Christmas story does in its own way of, you know, showing in this time period, you know, just how messed up Christmas is as a tradition in America. But uh, yeah, I mean, I also thinking of it in in the same way as acts, I think that third act is um, which kicks off kind of with the grandma finally telling the story Uh of who Krampus is. It becomes almost a folk horror story then. And, you know, you get all this kind of really kind of classical Gothic vibes out of that, which is really cool because it's got this old world nature to storytelling. Yes. I, I do totally love that because, you know, she kind of tells a story to Max at the very beginning of, you know, the, the like sanitized version of it of like the, Oh yeah, you know, you got to keep the hope alive and blah, blah, blah. But then, yeah, it very much is like once she reveals that she's already experienced Krampus, that's what took the rest of her family. Then it's like, yeah, it's like this kind of this folk horror of like, you know, it being like passed down, you know, through your generations now. Now they're like kind of in it. Um, It's yeah, I, I really like that folk horror angle. And then like going back to like and what you guys both kind of highlight is uh, the commercialization of um, Christmas, like, that's, that's, like, me, like, to a T, like, I am a Scrooge, because, like, I think, I find it very synthetic, you know, around the holiday times, you know, people kind of change their attitudes, and they, you know, act in certain ways, and it's like, you know, why don't you act this way all year, you know, but then it's like, Mm -hmm. when we see this family, we see their true colors out the gate of, you know, that they obviously don't really like each other, but are doing the obligatory, like, we spend the holidays together because they're family, you know, and that is like the yeah. lesson that Max is trying to learn, you know, a- accepting the family. So it's like that's where the the family element like really grounds all the horror elements because it's like that's the yeah. lesson he's like trying to learn. Um, yeah. Though in this day and age, dealing with like, oh, I have family who are not, uh you know jiving it's one of those things like i'm like beginning to kid i'm just like i'm with that kid it's just like you know mm-hmm. fuck his relatives you know like they're like they don't need to be here you know they're assholes you know they're they're like you know disrespectful and you know they they they're like the the aunt was at the very least anti-semitic oh with, god like the yeah, whole Dorothy. ham thing it's just like get, you know get the hell out of here you know yeah. i guess it's just growing up as a latino family you know I, I like I'm, me and my friends. We joke like this is, a, I guess, a white thing, because um, like 
you know, white people like, oh, they're family when they bring in, you know, oh, there's the right, the stereotypical racist uncle you have. Well, like growing up with a Latino, if you have like a, you know, dumbass, you're like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, and, and it, it, he even gets stumped, the dad even gets stumped by Max whenever he is like, okay, but why though? And then, yeah, Tom, and then Tom yeah. really just goes, well, yeah, you got me. Uh, uh, I'm I'm not sure, and they tries to spit out some bibble babble about being better, and but it's like yeah, like very much so. Like it, it kind of makes you question. Like I've had like similar Christmas things like that, where it's like you know the, just like the blood wasn't good at the time, and then it's just like why are we all just in this room pretending when we just like all kind of want to like scream at each other right now, you know? But at the same time. It's like, you know, you get to the end of the movie and then Max is kind of shown like, okay, like you, you think you have it bad, but it could very much be like worse, you know, like, I think that's kind of like where it gets to at the end. So favorite. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Victoria. No, I was gonna say, yeah, it's for, it's like that. Um, it was making me think it's like trying to find the good in the people. and, And it's like, it takes the most extreme you know, Situation. absolute end of the world, dire straits for these people to, to learn that they actually like each other. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, my favorite Christmas movie of all time is kind of borderline horror, which is Scrooged with Bill Murray. And I think it's very much that message like we're talking about, about how Christmas is commercial and it's not, you know, it's fake and it's phony. And it takes him the whole movie to get to the point that I think Max starts this movie at of, wait, wait, we're just supposed to be nice to each other all the damn time. Okay, cool. And, uh, I like that, that it's kind of, it kind of packs in all those layers of we all seen all these Christmas movies and know all this kind of what we're supposed to think about Christmas. And, you know, it's got this, it's a wonderful life kind of vibe at times too. You know, poor Max is the only kid who like believes, you know? Yeah. And, and it, they like kind of do like, you know, the tropes and like kind of parodies some aspects of Christmas movies. And then I feel like, then they also it does its own thing by kind of in the way that it kind of starts alternating you know, like kind of getting this rhythm of like there'll be like this horror set piece and then right afterwards you have like a one-on-one character scene whether it be you know uh tom and howard having a talk and like kind of getting on each other's level and then sarah and linda having their talk together you know they they like intersperse them in between the horror set pieces and it, it just like it gels like so so perfectly yeah. together um, there's so many great scenes, so we got to talk about some of our favorite scenes in here. And uh, yeah. starting with uh, Krampus, the the first uh, encounter with Krampus when the sister goes to go visit her boyfriend, and she is um, you know chased by Krampus. This scene is lit. I love it so yeah. much. It, great use of CG. Like I think the thing is when you see Krampus design, he's hunched. So it kind of has like this old man kind of like, yeah, yeah. but the but the minute he starts moving, he's like leaping and agile. A weird way to compare it to. Have you guys seen uh, the Warcraft movie? Yeah, I have. You not. remember how the that old orc and it's like, oh, he's like you know hunched over, but when he's ready for a fight, he like. Yeah. Or another comparison is like King Boomy from Avatar: The Last Airbender. Where, like, mm-hmm. the minute he starts mm-hmm. fighting, he's like strains mm-hmm. his back and he's ready to kick ass. Yep. And the CG is so good. The way the snowstorm is and him being shrouded in shadows kind of like like makes it feel very real. And it's it's so good as well as hearing him his like 
bellowing howl. Mm-hmm. It, it like it's and the like chains, powerful. And the, the chains chain. like clanking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chains. Like great use of sound. Like I feel like Doherty knows how to use sound very well in his films. Yeah, there's definitely. he he definitely uh, does a lot of really cool things with the sound design and um yeah that scene is one of the like brief you know uses of CGI because obviously that mm-hmm. would have been kind of a difficult scene to pull off practically and then but then he used you know the the snow and the wind and the fog to be able to like kind of mask it to where it blends in and kind of you know he's already doing this unnatural movement too so it kind of just blends in really seamlessly and then. Uh, the sound design too, like you notice the entire movie, there's always wind howling in the background, like at all yeah. times. Definitely. And, yeah, and the and the howls that uh, Krampus does too are uh, are pretty pretty cool. Um, what's a what's a, one of your favorite scenes, Victoria? Oh, I was gonna say, um, the one thing I really dig about that scene also is that it sets up that the rest of the town is vacant it's empty mm. and that that howling wind totally does it for me you know the darkness and the howling wind but i mean there are so many great scenes in this movie i love the like the gingerbread fight you know that's that's mm-hmm. just amazingly fun and that definitely has that kind of puppet master vibe but uh it's funny and it's kind of horrifying at the same time and mm. action-packed and it definitely one of those things that makes you want to like jump on board with a character you know you hate so it's got all these elements wrapped up into it and you're you're in it and it it's just the way it ends the scene like when it's the the kitchen he's down on the ground it just looks like they're going to swarm him and then just dog just like chomp that's yeah. a perfect way to end that scene shout out to good girl rosie um we we love pets here on the Blay Blunt Cinema Club and um she is a she was a really good horror horror doggo here. She she not only took care of the gingerbread cookies, then she went and got the Jack in the Box yeah. monster from out of the oh, vents later yeah, yeah. too. Which... Oh, I want I, I was gonna say that one of my favorite scenes. I think this is the most effective horror scene in the entire film because we're uh the the Jack in the Box was shown in the trailers, but the thing is it was shown in a way that we didn't gauge the size. I, again, I thought it was gonna be like one of the toys, like you know, like a like small, like a small creature. But then you see the damn thing swallowing a child whole, and it's like the size of a like a crocodile, or it's just like, oh, it's huge. It's that's the that thing snake that got body me. too. Yeah, snake body, and it has like that you know porcelain skin, but underneath it's flesh. Like that, that stuff gets me every time. I mean, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite monster designs in like any movie. By far, my favorite monster in this movie. But like mm-hmm. in just any movie, it's such a weird design from like it having this like expanded like accordion, you know, the accordion body. But it's like also still like kind of like fabric. But then you know there's flesh underneath, and then it still comes out of this like tiny box. It has like <laughs> just the little box on the end of the tail, but. The monster, it's it's terrifying for, like, when it's, like, eating people and shit. But then, like, later, it's kind of cute because, like, whenever the uh, the elves show up, it just oh, starts, yeah. it starts, it starts clapping it's, and it's hugging it's the very, elves. It's very animated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to be a I want to be a monster performer so bad. Um, the yeah. the Jack in the Box was played by Brett Beatty. Um, yes. I would love to be a monster performer because it just seems like it'd be so fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, an- another scene that I definitely just always pops in my mind when I think of this movie is the 
the kind of stop motion puppetry yes. of the storytelling from grandma of like mm-hmm. the old country and, and the actual tale of Krampus in her town. It's very I much love like that look. a dark version of a Rankin Bass special. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, and it's like kind of like, uh, you know, very similar way to in trick or treat when we have the, um, uh, the illustration, like kind of story yes. that he throws in mm-hmm. there. So yeah, like they likes to throw in some uh, other type of media in there. Um, mm-hmm. So, and then we get, you know, the end of the movie is pretty grim, which I love. Yeah. I love a, I love a good fuck you ending. And, um, yeah. and it, you know, it's one of those things that Max, like he got his wish, you know, cause Max, you know, after his whole family's taken, he learns that he's going to be left, you know, just to be the last one there. He goes and seeks out Krampus, and he's having this crazy Krampus party with his elves. It it is it is it's like this um <laughs> metal like King Diamond con- or concert Christmas theme like black metal like got the reindeer like demon bison things like I was just like hey I want to go to this party it seems like <laughs> awesome what's the set list. It reminded me of uh, the the scene from uh, Little Nicky. Whenever like <laughs> yeah. they have hell in the in a uh, in uh, yeah. Central Park, and it, it very much those vibes. But um, but you know, Max challenges Krampus, and uh, he wants to apologize and say he's learned his lesson. And Krampus is like, "Okay, I'll let you live, but now you gotta live in a snow globe forever in that perfect Christmas that you love so much." And then it's like, "Damn, Krampus is cold." It's very EC Comics kind of feel. Oh, totally, yeah, definitely. Which very comics? EC Tales from the Crypt, oh, oh. all the horror. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very much so. Like it, it yep. it's just like, well, there, you know, like that's that's what you asked for, and but he did still learn his lesson. I don't know. It's a tough one, but I just do love that we do end on kind of a bleak note because I feel like a lot of Christmas horror tend to still have like happy endings because they're like mm-hmm. oh well it's still christmas so we still gotta have a happy ending at the end so i love that he did not opt for a happy ending here yeah, yeah. i always thought though the uh, snow globes leave it open for the possibility of other yeah. movies that could happen in the same existence of krampus teaching like people a lesson like each globe is its own movie basically right yeah yeah i mean and i know like some people theorize that are the globes will be like prisons or is it like windows to like port like basically like um like i'm gonna keep an eye on you guys to make sure you guys understand the true meaning of christmas i see it as like a i see it as like a prison type deal mm-hmm. because like i said it's like max at the very end when he apologizes says like i just wanted things to be like how they used to be so then when he wakes up and you can kind of tell because there's like a haze on everything like this like hazy glow so i think that's also kind of a giveaway that like this is just like a new reality for them now because he got his wish, like, of like, okay, here's, you know, it, it's the warm Christmas, how you remember it, but then everybody still has the memories of what happened. So it's like, oh, all that still happened. Now you guys are just stuck. <laughs> I mean, Krampus is said to be a demon, so maybe this is just hell that he's in charge of. Mm-hmm. Or what if the sequel was like a time loop like type deal? Like we follow the same family, but they're in the globe, but they're in like a time like loop. A, see like if a they, mess. They do the day different. Yeah, make it better. Like, like a messed up version of Groundhog's Day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the Christmas edition. But yep. <laughs> I don't know what I would rather see more, Krampus 2 or Trick or Treat 2, though. You know? Trick or Treat 2 is long overdue. 
Yeah, that one they talked about that one, so they got us waiting for it. So they have to do it eventually. But uh, I don't know. I also was thinking when I watched this one this time around that maybe they were stuck in the globe the minute Christmas Day started because the fact that there's nothing outside of their bubble of their town, the power is gone, the you know everything's instantly stuck in you know complete blizzard type weather. There's no neighbors. The only person you see that isn't part of the family is that UPS guy. and it's like, I kind of almost felt like, oh, so the minute he ripped up his Christmas list and, you know, mm. or his uh, note to Santa, he put them in the bubble. I mean, possibly, because, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's kind of just like, well, once you did that, you're kind of fucked. And that's that's yep. all there is to it. Um, yep. Yeah. Absolutely loved revisiting Krampus. It is a, you know, good perennial wintertime watch. So let's go ahead and get into our next movie. The Thing, released in 1982, directed by the horror master himself, John Carpenter. Well, self-proclaimed horror master. That's debatable. Uh, Written by Bill Lancaster and score by Ennion Marcone, who has composed over 400 scores. What? That's insane. Mm -hmm. Um, Including a lot of them for Quentin Tarantino, like Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, Django, and his... um, Oscar-winning score for The Hateful Eight. Absolutely killer score. Um, This movie's a classic. You know, I don't have to say too much to introduce the thing. I mean, we know what it is. I will say, this was only my third time watching. Um, I didn't see it. I didn't see it for the first time until like three years ago. So, yeah. Yeah, so I was a latecomer. But then it was like, I watched it the first time and I think I was like too hyped and then I like was like yeah this is good and then like I watched it the second time and then I was like okay I get it now you know and I mean the this this is monster movie isolated thriller just like you know a master class right here um I think did one of you guys mention the thing when when I had reached out to you asking for the episode yeah I can't remember yeah, that I definitely put that out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you go ahead and uh, lead us off. What are some of the things you loved? Um, in you know, I'm sure you've seen it plenty of times at this point. But like anything, anything new, uh, come to you from the thing. I gotta admit, I always forget the beginning of this movie. I forget that you actually see a spaceship entering Earth's atmosphere, and that you, it doesn't just start with them already in Antarctica. So, um. That was kind of like, oh, yeah, they do set that up from the very beginning. So that's always interesting to see, like, little moments like that. I mean, I just love this is probably the best special effects movie ever made. It's all physical. It's long before CG really was an affordable option for anybody. And it's just perfect, absolutely beautiful work. And it is just what makes it even better is that these effects are completely abstract. And... You know, mm-hmm. you can't look at it and be like, oh, I know exactly what that. No, I don't know what the hell I'm looking at. What the fuck is that? You know, like, and that's what's awesome about this movie. And every time you look at it, you find something else in there. <laughs> yeah, it is like definitely the gold standard for practical special effects for a reason. 
um, mostly done by Rob Boten or Botten, I'm not exactly sure, but with also help from the legendary Stan Winston, who kind of came in to help out whenever um, Rob got kind of sick because this was a very like tumultuous shoot going on. But um, I go back and forth between this and Society for like my favorite oh, special okay. effects movie because like really? Society. There's just something just so that's its own episode. But um, but yes, but here with the thing like these these abstract, just crazy, like they look like beautiful, gross sculptures it, like so many of the times. Because like when you do just like kind of get to see some of these figures when they're not moving, they're like creepy. But then when they like start moving and they're like shaking and convulsing and tentacles everywhere, uh, it's so good. Uh, Chris, uh, is this uh, up there for you as far as like your monster movies go? When it, when it comes to specifically horror films, this is like my third favorite uh, horror film of all time. This is one of my favorite monster movies of all time. I just love this film. It's it's some of the best writing where every character is not stupid. There is no idiot. This just shows that you can have people be written as intelligent and still deal with a situation where that is out beyond their control. I feel this and alien are the two best examples of writing smart characters in a monster movie in a horror film. And I feel this is very much in that same vein as alien where it's Mm -hmm. like this bleakness of just space and, you know, alien life itself almost when it like, I'm not sure we're still going to go talk about the genre of this almost borderline Mm-hmm. is cosmic horror very much in the same vein of like at the mountains of madness yep. mm-hmm. yeah we were definitely going to get into the subgenre grinder with this one um and yes like i love that you point out the cosmic horror angle as victoria pointed out in the intro when we actually do like some spaceship action and yeah because it, it happens really fast so you, you do kind of like forget about it with everything else kind of going in and then I also, me rewatching it this past time around, I was very much focusing on like the mystery element going on amongst the crew. You know, yeah. with this, and um, as Chris pointed out with like Alien as well, you have these ensemble casts and you do get to take the time to like kind of know a little bit about each one. You learn their names, you, knew, you learn their roles within the crew, and then you just watch these interactions between them. And then so I was really like, you know, because, you know, I know the monster stuff that's happening that's going on. But then I was like, so I was very much focused in on like the mystery angle of like trying to follow who could possibly be assimilated at a certain point in time, who isn't, you know, when when somebody could have gotten assimilated. Like I was very much on the mystery angle as far as uh, some of the subgenre stuff goes. Uh, What about you, Victoria, as far as like some subgenre stuff you noticed? I mean, I always kind of figured this film as, like, dark science fiction, you know, like the goriest sci-fi movie ever made. But it's it plays on what we expect in an alien encounter film, and it just takes it to extremes. And it's also interesting to me that, yeah, it's an ensemble cast film, which is always, like, yeah, Alien, th- these two films have so much in common. But it's a film where you don't get, it's not. It's like the opposite of Krampus, where we know those characters really, really well. We don't need to be that in-depth on each character. Mm-hmm. They they represent different types of people. And, like I said, we know their roles. So it the ensemble part of it is a really important style 
and and I kind of think of that as a as a, as a, a working within the subgenres. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, you know, when you're in, you have this stacked ensemble here, and like I said, you you just know enough to where it's like, okay, you know their roles within the crew, what they're capable of, what they know, what they offer to the situation at hand, you know, because you have doctors, you have McCready, who is a pilot, and then, you know, so on and so forth. So that also kind of adds to that, like, you know, element going on. I mean, and with this cast, you have Kurt Russell, Keith David, uh, Peter Maloney. I mean, so many, like, actors incredible actors here and then like you know even watching the mystery element too and then this like kind of human on human stuff going on like you know i found myself watching mccready even differently like because at one point like he even kind of had me think i was like i mean i'm pretty sure i know this movie and the ending and stuff but then i was like huh what if mccready is on some other tip going on here you know like like Kurt Russell delivers like he's not like his you know normal charismatic self in this one. He is like very stern and like powerful and like very straightforward in his acting here. It's a film that you could take it either way. You don't know. It's one of those ones where it's completely ambiguous when it ends. Who's if anyone's infected? If they're both infected, you know, is the alien going to ever get past this part of Antarctica? You know, it's it's really it sets it up that it's all up to you what you think at the end you know and, and and it changes each time you watch it sometimes yeah like yeah this this time in i was like finding myself i'm like because i you know there is i would say like a general consensus of what people think um mm-hmm. a lot of people tend to think that mccready it was safe and that child's was assimilated right. whether it be um the 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 fogged breath thing which almost holds up but then child's mm-hmm. breath does show like once so it's like that theory almost holds up, but not quite there. And then somebody was like, did they put out oil in the in the alcohol yeah. bottle? We don't know. Like, and, and that ambiguity is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and the, the whole, like, genres, uh, when I brought up cosmic horror, I think that goes down with the creature's design where, you know how, you know, H.P. Lovecraft is a very much, he, the way he writes, aside from his racism, is he likes to write... Uh, very strong uses of, you know, adjectives as well as, you know, the whole idea of indescribable horror. Mm-hmm. And we, it's lucky we have a creature that can shapeshift. And mm-hmm. when you look at it, like, you see new details and you, like, you can't full, fully grasp on what it can do, what it can change into. And, you know, like, you see, like, there's human bits and then there's crustacean and dog. You see mm-hmm. eyes uh, everywhere, you know, new mouths and, you know, orifices and it also has that idea of complete nihilism that you see in cosmic yeah. horror that this mm-hmm. idea that you know there are things in the universe that are much scarier much dangerous and if they encounter the humans we're we're boned yeah there's and, oh sorry there's very no, much ahead. like yeah there's very much like that nihilistic nature from like the cosmic horror of you know where you also kind of have that recurring motif of like uh, the cast getting that, you know, that cabin fever and like when like the distrust comes in. And like, I'd say that's also something that like ties into like a lot of cosmic horror of like, okay, we're fucked. We need to, but like, we also still, we need to keep our heads on, but it's almost impossible to keep our heads around the situation, you know? So it like kind of goes both ways. Um, it also, it also seems to have kind of like that, um, 
you know, 10 little Indians and then there was none kind mm. of feel where just people start dropping like flies. Either they're killed by the thing or they are the thing. As well as, you know, this distrust of the situation. Like, I feel like uh, 10 Little Indians, it's like a weird, uh, interesting comparison how, like, no one in that film trusts, uh, in that little short story, trusts each other. And this film is kind of the same way where there's this bottleneck feel of, you know, we, it's almost like we know enough about these characters, but not enough where we can't trust any of them, even Kurt Russell himself. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we're almost like the the perspective of the dog thing in the beginning. We're just analyzing these characters, you know, trying to get like a surface level, like feel of them. Yeah, I yeah. didn't really think about that of like, yeah, it kind of analyzing us because like the, the movie does such a good job of kind of unfolding the information about the thing, you know, as the characters in the movie learn about it. You know, we're learning about it in real time with them. And then. You're also kind of seeing the, um, you know, the the versions of it in stages, too, you know, and it's like you kind of see the stages of the thing, but then you also kind of see the stages of, you know, the mental health of this crew deteriorating. Um, it's so much good character stuff, but, I mean, of course, yeah, let's, let's talk some, like, gross monster stuff. I forgot <laughs> the amount of tentacles in this movie. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing watching it this time because it's like I don't want to... I don't want to like reduce cosmic horror to always being tentacles, but, but that's, tentacles. That's, I saw so many tentacles this time. <laughs> I mean, the thing is with tentacles, think about it. It's the idea of it's a we're, we have this like weird innate fear of things with multiple limbs, you know, arachnophobia with spiders and, you know, octopi and cephalopods with tentacles. It's this idea of, you know, a creature with multiple limbs that could like you, you like with humans. We only have two lit arms, so you can you have like basically only mm-hmm. two things that grab you but something with tentacles you have it has multiple options to grab you and if it has enough on you you're not getting out yeah you're screwed yeah i mean it's like that and then there's just like something always like connected to like the inherent nature of like the way that like tentacles like kind of move in this like unnatural motion you know and like yeah. kind of add to that like unnaturalness of it like i there's not a lot of things that gross me out but like, like tentacles and like worms in general mm-hmm. just like really bug me. I just like like you know, quick story that is probably too gross to say on the podcast, but I'm gonna tell it anyways. Is a couple <laughs> weeks ago we're chilling on the couch with Harley, little uh, my little puppers, and mm-hmm. and he's facing away. I, I notice on his butt. I thought there was a. I thought there was a string. Oh God! I thought there was a string on his butt. Oh and no! Then the, and then and then the string started moving. Yeah, and then when it started moving, I just went like, I it was my instant goosebumps everywhere. I, I just couldn't take it. I had to have my girlfriend deal with it. I was like, Britt, I was like, this is you this time. I was like, this is the, like big old spiders around the house. Those are all my friends. But like, you see, I see one tiny worm. Nah, no, I'm done. Yeah. Um, and that one scene <laughs> that, you know, a lot of people's highlight, you know, is the, 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 the kennel scene, the first reveal of the yeah. thing. And there's so many details with that scene, like, especially, you know, watching it with, you know, as the years go on, like when you first see the film on like TV, then DVD and then Blu-ray, there's some details I never saw before. Like when the, the dog's head opens and then the skull falls out. Yeah. And you see like the eye when it's like that big mass and when it before it opens mm-hmm. and you know the dog I 
those dogs were great actors because you feel how terrified the yeah. dogs themselves were. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very like a, like there's also a lot of use of what you don't see, and you just hear this creature going ape shit. So you're just imagining this like chaos in his pet and his like dog kennel. Yeah, I mean one um, again, we love pets here on the Boy Born Cinema Club. This is not a movie friendly to pets, unfortunately. Ooh, no, like, no, no, this no. Is not this friendly is, to the doggos. This is a horror film for humans and dogs. <laughs> Straight up, like, uh, the poor doggos. I, I, I yeah. even I pet sit huskies, so like I love huskies. Uh but um that scene is just like yeah like when you kind of notice like the way that it like splits and like when certain things aren't done forming and then it's so and now the creature is like kind of panicking and like i said like it all always like when there's like the tentacles are going like they like kind of like shake too they like vibrate in this like because it's just like the all the cells are like moving at once because we kind of learn it's like a cell by cell like type of deal and so it just, like, kind of keeps coming up with just, like, these endless, like, ways that it's, like, you know, just, like, grotesque and, like, combining different shapes. But then it its functionality, though, as well, like, in its resourcefulness of, like, you know, whenever um, uh, the Palmer monster's head falls off, you know, and then mm-hmm. it uses, of course, a gross-ass tentacle to slowly, like, pull itself, like, underneath a table, which that is gross that scene for some reason like really unsettled me this time around and then the head like turns into this like little like spider fucking like little crawly legs popping out yeah i mean that that the entire scene the um the palmer scene that is just brilliant suspense because you're just like oh great this guy's having a heart attack but like you're more focused on the heart attack in the back of your mind you're not even thinking that palmer could be a thing so when you have the doctor like clear and then the the chest opens, you're like, ah, gr- damn it! Yeah, when it bites the arms off, that's th- like you know he's going in for the uh, defibrillator, right? So he's going mm-hmm. in and it just like sinks right through, like it's like absolutely not like paper thin, and just the jaws all of a sudden out of nowhere from the the chest cavity. That the first time you see that, there's no like you don't know that's coming. Yeah. <laughs> That's, like, something I, like, attribute with, like, Cosmic Horror, too, is, like, spontaneous mouths that just, like, kind of yeah. like come <laughs> off, at, like, open on creatures, like, at, like, random points. Like, I feel like... Spontaneous that... mouths, spontaneous tentacles, spontaneous eyes. Bizarre orifices. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 like, ooze. Like, everything yeah. is Ooh, oozing and, like, glistening and wet in this movie. Yeah. Like, you, this yeah. movie has so much texture to it, just, like, from the weather, too, and, like, the monster mm-hmm. effects. Like, so much texture in the film. Like, you can just, like, you feel. And, like, I even, like, found my... I, like, pulled my, like, shirt up, like, over my nose randomly for some reason. I was like, wait, what am I doing? Like, I don't smell can't anything. Smell. It's not smell <laughs> But like, I love, like, the the way it uses like you're saying how it's resourceful even if you go back to the the scene where it's in the kennel how to make sure that that one dog that's fighting back i mean it shoots like i, I don't know if that's just acid? acid or if it's just goop to like you know Eat capacitate it. it or something like, but maybe the, it's like the cells like it's like it's shooting itself so it starts devouring that's yeah, what i, I kind of took like, it as yeah it was yeah, like yeah, kind of like a combination it was like an acid but then also to get itself into the Mm. dna of the of the animal but when seeing the dog not just 
wrapped up in the tentacles but wet like that is is pretty nasty <laughs> you know like that's yeah. that's a visceral feel and then even the idea when the the carcass that they find that they bring back that they find at the uh, Norwegian site and bring back and the scene where it's in the closet and the tarps over it and it's just like all right we're just gonna pack it in here and close it up and then and just when it. you start to see it goop you know like it starts to drip like it's like yeah. oh yeah. that's nasty it like drips and, and just like slightly moves the tarp yep. a little bit and yeah but that's really effective if we're talking about favorite scenes in the thing we all know the most iconic scene is the blood test oh it's the blood test yeah mm -hmm. totally yeah and... get me off the damn couch <laughs> it, that's another thing about this film i enjoy it's it's totally you know nihilistic and dark and horrifying but also has little sprinkles of like humor oh, oh yeah, yeah. Carpenter's great for that, though. I mean, he wants you to laugh and then and then ugh, at the same time, like he wants to mm -hmm. repel repel you and then lure you back in with a laugh. Yeah, like the whole reveal, like once you um you see the the blood freak out and you see the guy who was tested is like turning to a monster, like you see them freaking out. That it's both terrifying, but you can't help but laugh at them because they're all tied up and they're just like screwed, and you just can't help yeah. but laugh at it yeah because like childs and jerry are like still stuck to the couch yeah. next to the the, the uh, it, palmer yeah. monster while it's like exploding but yeah and it's like cool that he you know used this like one-two punch of like okay we have the suspense of the the blood test itself you know and just like trying to figure out who if any of them are infected so it's like it happens and then you know it just like elevates like you know times 10 into this like horror set piece you know that we get and um yeah i think that definitely just overall is like probably the uh the strongest um scene of the film and and i think a lot of the comedy comes from just like the performances of the actors like there's not a lot of i don't think like r intentionally written comedy a lot of it is there's just a... like that yeah it's, it's just gonna say like the, he uses editing though in a way that just heightens the humor in that because when it gets down to the last couple guys and you think everyone's safe but you're not sure it's just it's the first time you really see jump cuts and as he tests each one the other one's geared up and behind him and it's like you yeah know, once you're okay <laughs> now you're on my side yeah and you know, and, like, you know yeah uh, keith, keith david was calling bullshit Yes. on it and then once you know we realize it works everyone who was tested is like all right this works you know everyone has flamethrowers everyone's that's another thing that shows these characters are intelligent you know they have every right to think this works but they also have every right to think this not work until they actually experiment and try things out and they're not going to be skeptical when a, a solution is actually seen and that even mm -hmm. goes down to that nihilism where the characters at the end when they realize wilford brimley is a thing and he's like building the ship. It's like, oh, he's not. He decided like Plan B. He's gonna freeze. So like, okay, we're screwed. We're gonna die, but we're at least gonna make sure this thing dies with us, so mm -hmm. it doesn't, you know, infect the entire world. Yeah, I really like, um, you know, this uh, back and forth because it's like, yeah, you have Blair out in the shed out to himself, and then you know, Childs is like also like the he's like the countermeasure to McCready because like McCready kind of steps up and takes charge, but then Childs is the one to be like okay, but who's going to question and check you? And they have a lot of uh, really good back and forth to it. I absolutely love the exchange where he's like, you're going to have to sleep sometime, McCready. And McCready goes, well, I'm a real light sleeper, childs. And just the way <laughs> that they both delivered the lines were like really, really funny to me. 
So, or uh, some of the, I think he Wilbur Brimley probably has one of my favorite subtle joke is where uh, McCready was checking on him, oh, and yeah. you see the noose in the back. He's like, "I'm okay, I'm, please I'm let me out. I'm better now." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I love the the part where um they lock um McCready out, and they're they're fighting over do we let him in or not, and it's like Childs is the first one to be like, eh, "Okay, so if we're wrong, we're wrong, we're wrong, and he's dead." So what's the problem i i, I think mm-hmm. we're, we're pretty safe you know <laughs> so yeah. uh, that that exchange is pretty good too yeah when they're like kind of you know questioning each other but it was just like well you know and i would have done the same thing you would have done the same thing so it's like you know yeah. all the all the different power shifts like and and all the power shifts like happen like a lot faster as we come towards like the yeah. finale of the film too as it, things are you know escalating which is like the thing in its transformation as well and I think the thing itself is one of the best movie monsters of all time because not only the human characters are written intelligently, the thing itself is an intelligent creature. Oh, yeah. It's almost like a game of chess of who can outsmart who. Mm-hmm. Like, who can figure out, like, the thing is, act like, they're working against the thing, but the thing's also working against them. Mm-hmm. And it realizes, like, I think the line that really poignates is where McCready kills uh, one, one of the things, uh, you know, the one with the, the hands, and he's like, I know I'm human, and if you were all those things, you all, all would have jumped me by now. So I know some of you are human, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that idea that he, know, he knows that this thing is intelligent, but there's, it has a weakness, and it knows they have weaknesses, too. So it's very much like a weird mind game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're definitely playing chess here in this movie, mm-hmm. and it I mean, it's just executed really well. Like I said, just kind of the way that it unfolds and, you know, the information comes out. And the the great thing is, like, you know, the cast, they the, the humans, they never underestimated the, the creature. And I think that's, like, a big problem in a lot of, like, monster mm-hmm. movies is, oh, you know, they tend to underestimate the, the situation. But everyone here, n- nobody ever, you know, is in that mindset. Everyone is, like, kind of locked into survival mode from, like, you know, right from when it happened. But even that that opening where they first encounter the dog uh, that they don't know yet is the thing. And it's one of those looking at it now, you know, after seeing it so many times, it's like, yeah, this movie could have been 15 minutes long (laughs) if they had like let the Norwegians, you know, exterminate the dog, (laughs) you know, like if they let them do it, but, Um, um, but watching after though, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, there's a little fun fact I learned. Apparently, the film, when it was actually played in uh, Norway, um, they never dubbed over the Norwegians. So the Nor, if because they they like the Norwegians basically explained the entire plot of the film. Mm-hmm. So oh, if you watch it in Norway, they really are no, speaking Norwegian, right? <laughs> yeah. So if you watch it in Norway, the entire movie, the mystery is gone. Oh, that's oh. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, that kind. Of- because the the yeah because i did see the, like the norwegian stuff i was like it's that it's not a dog is like something it's like what the line was i think like they're saying that's not a real dog shoot it kill it it's not a dog or something like that and yeah, you know one person the crew had no norwegian it would have been over yeah but and also just like kind of the typical like you know american thinking just like oh shit we're just vaguely threatened and we don't understand them up pop 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 like got a gun (laughs) pop 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 so you know and and i know people have mixed feelings just because of um you know the way that they went with the effects for the 2011 um at prequel 
Um, you know, we we won't get too deep into that, but I will just say I applaud the route that they went to incorporate the little pieces from the story here. But of course, we would have liked to have seen it with like the practical effects, which we have seen. They did. They just didn't, you know, stick with it. So and the original ending. That too. That too. So, you know, that is what it is. But, um, you know, the thing is a classic for so many reasons. And uh, you definitely can find something like new and interesting to find every time you revisit it. And I do want to say this might be a little bit of a controversial hot take, maybe. I, I, what I love about this film and why it's one of Carpenter's best is because he did not write it. When mm-hmm. Carpenter, when Carpenter doesn't have to write his own stuff and he can just like lock into like the the actual like directing of it, he, I feel like they are just like more focused films versus sometimes I think he his ideas might like get in his way in some of his other ones. I don't know. Bit of a hot take. I love Carpenter though. I mean, he's he's amazing. <laughs> I could I could go with that though because I think uh, what makes his earlier films work is Deborah Hill's ability yeah. to kind of to mm-hmm. siphon out what he's trying to do and I think she does a lot in the writing to kind of uh, maybe things that he doesn't do as well on his own just kind of boiling it down to it and she yeah. I think she's far better with character development than he is she very much adds like an iron to get rid of the wrinkles of the story yeah. yeah. Yeah, everyone needs somebody to keep them in check like that. But yeah, yeah. awesome film. So to close out the episode, um, I asked, um, we have been talking monsters all episode. So of course, we're going to just shout out our top three movie monsters of all time. And to specify, as we did before the show, for the audience, werewolves, zombies, vampires, do not count here. We're talking monster monsters here. So who wants to hit me with their ranking first? I guess I will. So, number one, a cliche from me, as someone who's on Gargantia cast, but my number one movie monster, it's Godzilla. I mean... Godzilla is, like, the movie monster. I I actually say he's probably more up, more better, uh, powerful than, you know, King Kong. You know, a lot of people, like, you know, people in Hollywood say, oh, King Kong, King Kong, King Kong. But honestly, Godzilla works so much because he's a creature that could represent anything. You know, nuclear holocaust and the original Gojira. You know, he can talk about, you know, the power of nature to being a superhero, basically, to um, a force of destruction, a metaphor of Japan's societal flaws. It is one of the best movie monsters because it can be anything. True. I mean, classic for a reason. Definitely cannot hate on that. Uh, my number two, the Xenomorph. Another classic Again, choice. Again, Xenomorph, it is this this perfect creature where it's grotesque, but it's beautiful in its way. It's It very much is that Giger art style, given f- physical form, where Giger's art style, you just like, there's this strong sexuality, this almost S&M feel to it. Yeah. And But yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. Totally. It is, it's almost like a walking art piece. Yeah, it, like and like kind of how I like said earlier, like very like sculpture like. Yeah, and it moves very elegantly. It's it very much feels like this thing is like you know like kind of like a a 
a cosmic ballet dancer of death. I like it. I like it. Nice. And my third favorite monster. Oh, this is going to flip flop with me. Uh, maybe because these films are phenomenal. Uh, I have to say, Gamera. The for those who don't know, Gamera is a the basically a count. Uh, the Godzilla's rival in Japan for uh, movies. He's a giant turtle, but specifically the Gamera from the '90s film because it's very much this, you know, badass heroic kaiju. But especially the third film. It's almost scary, and the film kind of actually questions whether or not Gamera is a creature you should trust. Yeah. It's like the central themes on faith and hope. I have not seen any Gamera films, but I will definitely have to dive into them, though. I have a lot more, I have a lot of like kaiju movies I need to dive into, especially like uh, with learning more about Godzilla. I also just like, I love like the history behind Godzilla and like the the long lasting like iconography you know of being able to stand in for all these different things all the different iterations different tones i find all that like super interesting so i'm going to be diving in into that more soon victoria what is your list looking like i kind of looked at it as what were the monsters that were kind of my gateways into scary movies and horror movies so yeah godzilla's first because um that is the movie that sucks every kid in that. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it was just everywhere growing up. So I definitely started with a big love of Godzilla. They got me into monsters um, in that kind of same vein. I think this is a weird one, but I'm going to say Jabba the Hutt because as a kid, mm-hmm. that's some creepy shit, you know, <laughs> yeah. the imagery is enough. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to go back to our ideas of like sliminess and gross mm-hmm. and yeah. So all of that. And it's a foe that has to get fought. Uh, and, you know, I think, it, you know, it, it definitely was the big bad in the end of the, the original trilogy. So and uh, Jaws, because there's nothing more terrifying than something that is real. And uh, a big old shark is pretty fucking scary. So, um, yeah, I think those three are just kind of like the iconic kind of mm-hmm. like big bads that kind of were my gateway into horror. Yeah. No, the, uh, definitely, I mean, Jaws, the giant shark, uh, has become its own subgenre itself, you know, within the monster movie even, which I, which... I there mean, are so many shark <laughs> movies. So many. Uh, gotta love a good horror shark. So for my three, um, I kind of, they're all kind of more recent because... I really wasn't a big monster movie like person growing up like that just wasn't the horror that I was watching really. Um, But then like kind of as of recently, whenever I kind of see these like super interesting, crazy, you know, um, monster designs that I just like can't really like explain that I really love. Um, And then so I've been kind of looking out for them a little bit more. Um, First one, number one is my boy Calvin from the movie life um he is i have not seen that movie yet i know i I know me and chris had like talked about it a little bit because i wanted to try to get on gargantucast but i don't know if he qualifies but calvin is um this is an alien monster type deal it's kind of like if you took the xenomorph and the thing in kind of the way that it adapts the way that the thing monster does and is like kind of like this like 
otherworldly, like, if this monster gets back to Earth, like, we're fucked type deal because of the way it, like, eats and, like, attacks, like, so fast and stuff. And fucking, he has a really cool design. He has different stages. He has a real creepy face. Um, He has his own theme music, like, throughout the movie. He has this, like, very specific score that kicks in that is awesome. Um, it's a movie that a lot of people like kind of, you know, saw it and wrote it off as like kind of like an alien ripoff type deal, but it's a lot more than that. Cause it has a lot of big, uh, like nihilistic, not nihilistic, actually it's the opposite. It's like of, you know, kind of being very like having this like very hopeful to a dangerous point viewing of like, you know, what's outside of our planet. So highly recommend checking out life. Um, the other one is, um, another pretty recent one, the ritual, because this thing, yeah, I mean, this thing is just so, there's so much to look at. It has such a just like interesting design and you're just like not expecting it from like what we've been getting from the rest of the movie, you know? Um, it, it's just like the, the tiny human arms, that it has but then it has it's like other and the hooves and ah that's a weird creature and just that's a bloodborne boss straight up like and whoever came up with that just like like hats off like i saw like the like concept drawings and like the way they also translated like almost it like completely accurate to like the drawings onto the screen is also like very impressive and then I was, I was, uh, I was tough. Um, I'm going to skip one monster because I'm going to be talking about this movie on the podcast in like a month or so. So I'll skip one of them. One of them that I don't know when I'll get to, and I didn't think about it until like a little while ago, is uh, the Scare Bear from Annihilation is one of the most terrifying things I've experienced in a theater. And then coupled with like that sound that like scream that it does like merged with like the human voice which is something we didn't touch on with the thing but wanted mm-hmm. to shout that out about the thing as well like uh the those like screams that it does are just like so yeah. Yeah. unearthly terrifying um but yeah i've been i'm definitely getting more into the monster movies so excited to uh venture on but guys thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this was such a great episode to kick off december i appreciate you guys coming on and uh what are you guys working on so that way the people can go and stalk you well by the time this episode uh, this episode and your listeners will be listening to organic cast will be going on a mini hiatus for the holidays because you know 2021 we have a big year and we want to prep for that you know have a little break as well as do a lot of behind the scenes stuff but we'll be having and concluding our camera 55th anniversary uh celebration as we covered both the first camera film and the first entry of the heisei camera films with a revisit of guardian the universe nice super excited um to uh get back into that once you guys come back from the holidays but it's like yeah everyone could use a little bit of a break these holiday times are gonna be a little extra crazy this time around and uh, what about you, Victoria? What you got working on? Well, actually, um, Chris is going to be helping me out on my show. We're going to be talking about Godzilla. So it's yeah. kind of funny that we both went Godzilla on our list, but I kind of figured we'd both end up with Godzilla on our list. <laughs> but yeah, so um, 
the uh, the next episode that I'm working on for a horror academic is Godzilla. And then, uh, you know, I've been uh, going through a nice long list of box sets that I want to check out. So stuff for the the winter, I'm going to be looking probably at like the Scream movies and Alien films, uh, going through some of my box sets. So that'll be our, our winter lineups coming up soon. Awesome. Super excited for uh, whenever... Uh, that comes up and that works out perfectly because like I said I'm going to be trying to deep dive Godzilla here pretty soon and then I'll be able to go to you and get all the other extra stuff and all the goodies so once again thank you to Chris and Victoria for coming on to the show just got a few more things to talk about before we wrap up the episode thanks for having us on yeah thank you Thank you to my special guest. Thank you for listening. Just want to make a quick reminder that if... (coughs) 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 Ah, shit. (coughs) (coughs) Ah, dang. Uh, Okay, I'm back. Just want to do a quick reminder before we end the episode. Sorry, I never really include the coughs in here, but I'm going to go ahead and include that because, ooh, that was a rough one. Um, the latest by Tradecraft Farms is spicy. Ooh, yeah. But anyways, a quick reminder before we end the show is if you guys would like to leave me a little gift for the holidays, you know, try to turn my cold heart warm. It is my one Christmas wish, if you will, and um, I would just greatly appreciate it so that way we can get the Blade Blunt Cinema Club into more people's ears, get more people into the cult, do all the good things. You guys know what's up. But that's going to go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. New episodes every Tuesday. Join us next week as we talk some cold-hearted creatures with 30 Days of Night and Let the Right Ones In. Make sure you guys are following the podcast, Twitter, and Instagram page at BloodyBluntCC. And until next time, guys... Stay lifted.